You're tuned into 9 to 5 Work Rebels with your host, Ebony Gale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gems in Comms series special, brought to you by 9 to 5 Work Rebels in association with Hanson Search, the award winning international exec search consultancy. I am your host, Ebony Gale, and I am super, super happy and excited to be speaking with the lovely Ify Kanua, and she is the former director of PR and comms at Hearst UK. So for those of you who don't know Hearst, Hearst is a massive publications um, company, and they have uh, publications such as Elle magazine, Women's Health, uh, Red magazine. They have a host of wonderful magazines that are very popular, and I'm sure you've heard of many of them. Welcome, Ify. Hi, nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to have you on. And thank you for joining us here. So the whole reason for this podcast is all about highlighting people of colour, particularly women at the moment I'm doing, uh, of colour within the PR and communications industry. Because we know it is quite a uh, dominantly white industry. It's actually 91% white. And um, But of course, there are people of colour within the industry doing some great things. And there's a lot of initiatives that are happening in the industry as well to try and help change this trajectory. Now, this podcast is all about giving you your flowers. So we want to say, you know, a big welcome to you and a well done to you for trailblazing within the PR and comms, you know, sector. You've managed to, you know, get some great highs within the industry. And I think it's great. And it's, you know, it's important that we are able to give you your flowers. So again, a very big congratulations to you. Okay. And I want to start off our first question by asking you um, to tell us about yourself and what you do or what you did. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, so my previous role was working as director of PR and comms at Hearst UK. I think you mentioned some of the titles like Cosmopolitan, Harper's Bazaar, L, etc. But it's not the first time that I actually worked in uh, publishing. I was the former communications director at Bauer Media. So I also worked on the magazine's division. So for publications such as Grazia and Empire magazine, which I'm huge fan of still uh, but also on the radio side of things so for radio stations such as kiss and magic and absolute radio so um you know I've, I've kind of worked in the sort of publishing media sector for quite a long time and I actually started off my career at the BBC as a journalist so I didn't actually start off in PR um, but I've pretty much I think throughout my career um, I've worked agency side as well as in-house and I've pretty much done everything. So FMCG and, and tech, we, we were just talking a little bit earlier, but I'm currently in Germany. And I remember there was a point in my career when I was consulting with startups in Berlin. So I've always had a massive passion for tech, but you know, I've worked on everything from sort of Marmite to consumer health, like toothpaste, and then, you know, the other side of the spectrum working in media. And it, you know, it, it's been sort of great and interesting but I I you know I didn't actually think or I didn't start off thinking that I was going to work in PR I kind of fell into it by accident if that right. makes sense no it does make sense it does and there's a lot of people that kind of come into PR via journalism route I actually just interviewed um Evangely Campbell I don't know if you know her but she was also ex-BBC but yeah. she's um, PR as well so it's interesting the routes that we get in there but you know there's something about the industry that attracts us even from the journalistic perspective very interesting 
And it kind of makes sense, though. I mean, if you think about a comms expert, it's all about telling stories Absolutely. and being able to sell your brand or communicate your brand to media and, and speak to consumers. And mm-hmm. if you come from a journalistic background, then I think the one thing that you have is that training of how to tell good stories. Absolutely. And, and having that, I guess, really sort of helps you think through your strategy in terms of, you know, what is it that I'm trying to do for my brand or brands in our case, mm. you know, and, and it just causes you to think a different way. Um, and, and that's the thing. I think a lot of the journalists that I've I've dealt with over the years, you know, we all kind of started off, you know, at a lower level and have worked our way up. So yeah. a lot of the people that I started with and like were my first contacts and now sort of, you know, big editors at, you know, lots of publications. And, and that's really nice because you have that sort of understanding and respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that helps you too with sending in the stories and the building yeah. relationship for your brands, which is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So that's interesting because I was going to say what attracted you to the industry, but it's the storytelling side, isn't it? It's the whole communication and the, the communicating the effectively, as you just mentioned. So yeah. I want to touch on, of course, um, lived experiences because I think that's quite an important aspect to share. So one of the questions I always ask all my people I'm interviewing, which is, uh, when did you become aware of your ethnicity? Now, this may seem strange to others, but for us, it shouldn't be. I feel like um, whilst you were born in the skin you are in, uh, you sometimes you don't become necessarily aware of some of the nuances or the differences or the prejudices until you maybe enter the workplace or enter school. For me, it was entering school, secondary school to be specific. And I remember uh, hearing about a group of guys or thugs, I should say, who would go around and pick out, you know, people of colour in particular, and they would use blades to cut into their face. Um, and they were called mm-hmm. the Chelsea Smilers, um, I was yeah. told about. And mm-hmm. I remember hearing about that and being petrified going to school, just thinking, oh, my God, these people could potentially come and attack me just because of the skin that I've been born into. Um, so for you, when was your kind of uh, moment? I mean, I, th- I think, to be honest, it was uh, similar in terms okay. of school age. But I think the reason why it was a bit more pronounced for me was um, I actually won a scholarship to go to a boarding school. And the boarding school in question, I think, I don't know, there were about 900 pupils. It was a boarding school. I think there were maybe five black people in the school. So it was, I mean, it was really noticeable. And, you know, I experienced really severe bullying uh, whilst I was there. And I was acutely aware and, you know, everything from, uh, it was horrible from teachers to pupils and, you know, the sorts of insults that I think about, you know, now it it wouldn't be allowed to happen, but I would have to endure on a daily basis. And, my poor mum was, you know, had to come to the school a few times to have words because yeah. the thing was so severe. Yeah. And it's not to say, like, you know, if if I could go back, it was the best education. Like, I really genuinely believe that I wouldn't be in the position that I am now. And I, I think, you know, that's important. Like, you don't see that many black communications directors and, and at that level. And I think having had that experience 
at such an early age and the good education because you know that's why I went there because I wanted to have the best education I couldn't afford to pay for it so I had to be the scholarship kid yeah um, but if I hadn't had that then you know I wouldn't be where I am so I'm always forever grateful yeah um, and the friendships I made but it was tough I mean it was really yeah. tough brutal I can only imagine that is quite, you know, something absolutely. You should write a book about that in itself. It should be very in, in insightful. It would be a bit traumatic. <laughs> and traumatic, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but can you imagine the amount of girls that are going to boarding schools now? I know it's changing slightly, but it's still yeah. not that, you know, it's not that skewed that differently, you know. I know someone who went off to boarding school and she had a few issues as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I suppose the next question would be about it you know experiencing it in the workplace so have you felt like your race ethnicity has held you back within your career 100% I mean I I think it's kind of disingenuous for anyone to think and, and that's why I always find it interesting when people say oh racism doesn't exist and it's so much better you can't really say that unless you've been through that lived experience exactly and you know I think definitely in PR and comms it's getting better has better but it still exists and you know I mentor a lot of people I'm part of various sort of mentoring schemes I was just chatting to someone today and I'm going to do the women in PR scheme again Um, but like at Hearst we actually launched our our own uh, mentoring scheme for people who wanted to get particularly into sort of media and luxury and I, I think in the luxury beauty industry um, and those sorts of industries I think it's it's even tougher I think there are some other sectors where it's a lot more open yeah I think for me I noticed it as a challenge I mean the thing that I will forever be grateful for will be to Bauer Media because they offered me that role as a communications director when Mm. there weren't you know there weren't people who looked at like me at a major media company and, and yeah. like that's a big deal for me to sort of you know be one of the first black absolutely directors like it's a big thing and that like, is I'm massive like, and I take you know I take a sort of a lot and that's why I try and, and do as much mentoring and try and be an advocate because for me it was kind of quite scary I'm forever grateful but the whole thing was was that there just weren't people like me that I could look up to or see around me and it you know it's challenging going into sectors or organizations where there isn't representation and Mm. you know even going to Hearst I I sat on the senior leadership team and again I was the only black woman on the senior leadership team and again that's you know quite a, a sort of daunting thing to go into so you know, I, th- I think it's it's really important for all organisations. I think a lot was said after uh, after BLM. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of still, uh, you know, slightly sceptical if, if things have actually changed. changed. Absolutely. Yeah, just speaking to people and like even my, you know, my own personal experiences, mm. racism exists. Like, oh, absolutely. Know, excluded from jobs yeah um, you know I remember someone once telling me that you know as a white male you'll be promoted or may get a job based on potential but if you're a black woman in particular and and it's gender as well as ethnicity mm-hmm. 
you almost have to be doubly qualified. And I think that's one thing I've always felt that you have to work 10 times harder and yeah. you can take it on board because you know that's the norm. Yeah. But why should it be the norm that I you know. have to be twice as good yeah. to even get a look in? And, you know, there have been instances where I've been fully qualified for a role. Um, and it, this particularly happens in the luxury and sort of beauty industry, mm. fully qualified for a role, the complete skill set. And they wouldn't even give me a, a look in. And, it, you know, that's sad. And it's still Absolutely. in the present day. So yeah. there's still a lot of work to be done. And I'm always kind of quite skeptical of, you know, brands that they make all of these sort of promises. Claims. Absolutely. Claims. Promises and claims. And you think, well, you know, the proof is a I know the other side. Yeah. yeah. And, and for that reason, you know, I've always been sort of quite particular about who I will and won't work for. And Absolutely. I can say that there are definite brands that based on my experience or the experience I've heard from others, I wouldn't feel comfortable working for because I know that they are not diverse or anti-racist companies. Yeah. I think that's important. You have to go where you're wanted. Absolutely. You go where you're celebrated and not tolerated. Absolutely yeah. agree with you on that. Absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. So when I asked you about the racism, that so you have you believe that it does help hold you back. And that's very true. I, I am definitely with you on that. So would you say you've experienced work, uh, or witnessed racism in the workplace and how was it handled? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess throughout my career, you know, I've, I've seen it in sort of, you know, v- various different scenarios, both agency side and in-house. And I don't know. I mean, I... Do you I, say one's worse than the other? Sorry to cut you, because I find it interesting. A lot of people say that agencies are worse than in-house, but I think it depends where you're working in-house. You know. No, I, I mean, I, I, I sort of disagree with that because I've, I've seen it sort of both sides. Both sides. And having, having worked in-house probably as much now as I've worked agency side, it, it happens everywhere, everywhere and it's got nothing to do with, you know, like where it is. It's to do with the company and the culture. Mm, and, yeah. you know, I think you, you could have two different companies that say are two tech companies and one would have a, a culture that's very, very inclusive. And then you could have another one where actually it, it's not. And so yeah. it's, you know, I think it, it starts from the top and it starts on the sort of values that a business has and the type of culture, but also, I guess, how businesses deal with racism. Yeah. So I guess, you know, if there's a culture where it's felt that it's acceptable to, you know, to to be racist or not tolerate, you know, people based on ethnicity or religion or sexuality or whatever, Mm. if that's the norm, then people feel free to do it. But if, you know, there's a sort of zero tolerance policy, then I think it's much harder to do. Or even more than that, if steps and measures are taken to, you know, deal with in an appropriate manner people that do it then it it doesn't happen but you know I I, like I said I mentor I've got sort of lots of peers that I kind of started with right at the beginning and just seeing some of their experiences like a lot of my black friends freelance because they couldn't get permanent positions and you know that's you know that's the thing that you have to think about recruiters wouldn't take them on their books Mm. they wouldn't be put forward for jobs they wouldn't get the interviews or they wouldn't get the jobs. And, you know, I've, I found a lot of friends will be kept in, say, you know, an AM position or an AD position yeah. for, for, for a significant amount of time. Whereas 
people who are less experienced would yeah. be promoted through the ranks. So those are the sort of things, that's how kind of, you know, things manifest, I guess, just at the very base level. And then it kind of goes through the whole spectrum to sort of workplace bullying and, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it's there in existence, you know, within agencies, you know, in-house mm. across the board. And it's it's pretty much up to the businesses, you know, to, I, I guess, recognize that it's there and then find ways to sort of get rid of it. Yeah, I completely agree. I've had this conversation just before, I spoke with you as well, and said the same thing. It's literally about the top-down approach. And it is a case of, you know, if you've got somebody who's non, non tolerant at the top, then they, that will kind of ricochet down and help the company culture. But if you've got a culture of not acknowledging it or even gaslighting when it is happening and, you know, yeah. it's not really happening, you know, it's like, well, you won't get it. Something that's the that's the thing I find really interesting about the UK as well because our racism is quite covert. It's not overt racism. So you've got microaggressions. You know, you don't necessarily get called names. You won't get told. You know, you're the N word or your smell or whatever. But it might be something a bit more like you know, well, they assume that you're lower than you are, and you know, there's, there's lots of different microaggressions that can happen. So again, like you said, it is about top down. I believe that you know, in terms of changing culture, it is down to the those that are leading um and again for you to even mention about the freelancing again another true point there's a lot of people that I know who've turned to freelancing a because they're not necessarily was happy where they were because of racism and then once they are doing that like you say there's issues around you know going for roles and how that even how they even kind of um find their way around that in itself is another kind of sticking block very interesting but I, I think that's one thing in our industry, like a lot of people I knew. And like I said, like you've given the stats as that there are black people who work in comms and there oh, are talented black people absolutely. working in comms. But I, you know, I felt like I knew quite a lot of the people that did work in comms and everyone had the same experience where they just wouldn't get the roles that the they roles. wanted to yeah. and so I guess freelancing I mean I, I I worked as a freelancer and I consulted quite a bit but I had um, a specific mindset because I was trying to save up to buy a house at the time and so in terms of I guess you know getting a better rate as yeah. opposed to on a contract that was very much a conscious decision yeah. and that was my decision but I know people who did it just because they you know couldn't necessarily get those permanent roles they'd be mm. taken on as a freelancer yeah. but they would actually be taken on permanently, permanently you know and and that to me is just like it's it's all kinds of wrong because there's so there's so much talent within the industry absolutely which is why when businesses say, oh, there's no talent, it's like, you're not really looking. There are talent. It's yeah, I mean, like, we are here. There are, like you said, it's 90, I said it's 91% white, but there's still that percentage that are here. You know, we are still here. So, no, I completely get it. I get that. So, when it does come to racism, has there been a time within the workplace where you've maybe uh, spoken up or wish you spoke up about something? You know, a time when you kind of self advocated or maybe advocated for somebody else? I mean, to be honest, I think most people who know me know that I'm pretty outspoken and I'm, you know, I, I feel, like I said, I feel a bit of a responsibility being in the position that I am. I mean, it's tricky because, you know, when you are so outspoken, you, you it, it doesn't do you any favours. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, but to be honest, you know, 
that's not really <laughs> not to be able to speak up for what's right or wrong and to speak up when no one else is speaking up is something that I just don't think you can be scared of. And so I've done it and, you know, I've done it to my detriment, but I've done it just because I think it depends how you feel as a person. And, you know, I know people who have been in a sort of similar scenario who have been black people as well, who've seen something, known something and haven't spoken up. And I have spoken up and said it's wrong. And I believe that, you know, this is racism and da, 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 da. And it, you know, it, it's it's a difficult thing to do because you're always scared of sort of repercussions, etc. But I yeah. think you have to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think speaking up is really important. It's kind of scary, but I think you know people do need to speak up. Also, sometimes you need to speak up just because I think there is, you know, racism that is very deliberate and very planned and knowing. But sometimes there are things that happen where people actually don't even realize what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost a form of of education. and, And it's saying that this is a boundary it's been crossed, you shouldn't do it. And then people know and they're educated, whether or not they pay attention to it, it's whatever. But I think there is, you know, there are two different scenarios. There's a sort of very deliberate racism that happens that you, you, I mean, you can't, I think that's why I always find it funny when people do, you know, all of this unconscious bias Bias whatever. If, you know, if you're racist, you're racist. So like nothing you can do as many courses as you want it's not going to change that um the only thing I think will change is if there are measures in place to mean that if you do act out on those beliefs and behaviors you're you you know you know some sort of repercussion yeah absolutely that's the only way to deal with that but then there are sometimes things that people do that's very unknowing and and that is just through being told actually this isn't acceptable and the education piece and I think that's the difference between sort of people who learn and actually think gosh wow I want to do better move on and then you know the others that don't want to they'll carry on or fall away at the side somewhere yeah you know those are ones that I will hope will get caught up you know like when you see on social media and they report someone who's racist at work and you think well hopefully they'll, they'll get hit in their pocket because that's the only way they might learn about their racist outbursts you know you'd be surprised I mean you'd be surprised at how many people get away with it which is why I think it's it's a hundred percent it has to be top down and it's yeah. down to the sort of company culture and I think it's also down to businesses you know wanting to deal with issues like that so if you're aware that something's happened you know deal with it head on and, and make people aware that it's not acceptable and yeah. I think you know, if more businesses um, did that, then you'd probably see a lot less being visible and, and, you know, people having to experience it. It's not that you take away the problem. It means that people don't act out on those beliefs. And that's the difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you. I absolutely. Imagine if if everyone did take it on board, it'd be just a better place. So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Again, another question I'm really keen to get your opinion on is about code switching. And whether you feel that, you know, we can ever, people of colour can ever lead with their authentic voice in the workplace. Because mm. I don't think we can, honestly. I feel like um, we're always going to be an element of code switching. 
Um, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, that there's a, a still an issue where I think as a, as a black person, um, you know, definitely as a black woman, I don't know how you feel. It, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. You know, if you speak up and say something, then you're always worried that you will be, you know, labelled as, uh, I, I've asked every black female I know if they've ever been labelled as aggressive mm-hmm. and every single one has and like I know these people and they're not, yeah, they're not. and so yeah. when you speak up or if you assert your authority because you're a manager or whatever it is in the workplace then you're automatically aggressive yeah but if it's white male then he's just assertive, he's assertive. Absolutely. and so I think it, it is you know there's a fine line you know, between sort of being your authentic self and actually being able to work within a corporate environment. So can you 100% be yourself? I think, you know, businesses that say you can bring your authentic self to work, I think that's fine if you're of a certain race. Mm. I think if you're if you're potentially black or a black female, I don't think you can. And I think, you know, it's just one of the things that you learn the more businesses you work within, you know, as you sort of grow and mature, it's the same way that if you go into the workplace and you speak to your colleagues, it's not the same way that you would speak to your family or you yeah. speak to your friends. So you mm-hmm. just need to learn how to compartmentalize how you portray yourself at yeah. work and the way that you speak and act and, and conduct yourself in a working environment should be completely different from how you would conduct yourself with your friends and family. Mm. So whilst, you know, it feels as though you're not 100% being yourself, I think you can be yourself, but you bring elements of yourself forward and you sort of dial other elements of yourself back because it's not appropriate for the setting. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I agree. But I feel like um, there's an element of that which I find really unfair, which is, again, the white counterparts can really bring themselves to work has themselves a quite a lot maybe not totally you know you know fallen out but pretty much they yeah. can whereas, yeah. but you know for black people it's not quite the same so yes completely get it and we've been conditioned that way anyway because think about it when we get to school when we go to college go through your first job you always know you know to put on your sort of work voice or to put on your work side and then you know you go home you're a bit more relaxed a bit so I feel like it's something that we we, we inherently know hence why we, we call it co-switching I spoke to someone recently and she was saying, she's a bit older, so she was saying, actually, um, yeah, it wasn't called co-switching in her time, but it's something that we've always, always had to do because you have to get into the workplace. You've got to be able to kind of, you know, make your way within it, within the ranks and uh, almost stay in your lane to a degree without yeah. being too, you know, authentic. As much as they do, like you say, a lot of employers say bring an authentic voice to work, but for us, it's a case of, don't always feel like you can do that. Because like you said, if you speak up about something, it can be labeled as aggressive. And this drives me mad too, the stereotypes, you know. It was really interesting. I spoke to a, a colleague of mine, someone else I interviewed. Now, her background is Chinese. So she spoke about being able to lean into her stereotypes. Because I said, but that's because Chinese have always had very favourable stereotypes. And they seen has the kind of favourable ethnicity, ethnic, you know, uh, group um to kind of you know assimilate with now she spoke about being seen as a tiger mom and how she was able to kind of lean into that whereas I said to her that's interesting but for black women we don't want to lean into angry black women tropes 
Or, you know, for example, I flagged the fact that uh, the Black Communications Network survey that they did a couple of years ago flagged that a lot of people uh, who were around agency tables with clients or, you know, going through to meetings were being mistaken for toilet attendants and cleaners. Because <laughs> simply, wow. yeah, exactly. Yes. And it's like, because of the color of their skin, I'm like, that's not something we're going to want to lean into, you know. So it depends on the stereotype. But I found it interesting to think that, you know, some people can lean into stereotypes, whereas for us, we're like, no, we, we want to repeat it, you know. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and sorry, just coming back to that, I, you yeah. know, I was thinking of, uh, you know, something that I know quite a few people have experienced. Also, sometimes, you know, working agency side, you've had clients who would not want you working on their brand purely because you are black, like yeah. they would feel more comfortable. It happened to me. It happened, you know, to quite a few people I know that by being the black person, you know, working on or leading the account. They didn't want it. You, you know, the client wouldn't feel comfortable unless there was, you know, a white person leading the account. And, you know, that's just unforgivable. But, that you know, really it's, it's happened to it say. Happens, though. It happens. I hear yeah. about that quite often. And what was that luxury again? Is that like luxury industry? No, it's actually tech. It was oh, actually- it tech? Yeah, no, but I mean, it's, it's, it's happened and, you know, it was devastating because I was the most qualified person to, to lead that account. Yeah. And so I was taken off the account at the that client and that's racism, right? And so didn't do anything about it, but you know, it's, it's like it happened to so many people. I know the more conversations you have, the the more more you you hear about it and it's, yeah, I mean, it's crazy, but, you know, that's kind of what happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's interesting you mentioned that as well, because there's an article out today, I think, in The Guardian about tech and racism for black people in tech at the moment um, <clears throat> and how high that is as well. You know, so it's interesting as a tech client. And um, I, I think, sorry, that just to say the the problem with tech is that I think people uh, always think that because it's, like you know kind of you know with startups and newer technologies I think they always think that it will be a more tolerant environment but if you Mm. look at the sort of top percent of who the people at the very very top you will still find that it's very much white male dominated and so actually I think tech is is you know one of those places where unless you start seeing at sort of the big brands people in you know senior positions that are you know people who are black or you know female black mm. etc across the board mm. and then you will still continue to get those problems because yeah. nothing changes at the top it comes from the top because that's where you have the real influence and power mm. and so I always think there's a, a sort of misconception that people think that certain industries will be easier it only gets easier when there is representation and that's why it's so important yeah absolutely absolutely I agree with you so what's your, um, when did you become aware of the sort of colour bias in PR and comms? you know that straight away? Or was it like your agency experience that you started to see it? Or was it just over the years? Um, so for me, I think it was when I, so I was based in Manchester and I moved down to London. And I think the first kind of port of call was recruiters who wouldn't even take my CV. Oh, wow. And then recruiters who wouldn't for jobs and etc so I think you know that's that's another I know a lot of recruiters have done a lot of work at trying to to address it but you know something that I did at Hearst was 
we had some roles that were open and we asked a particular agency to send forward CVs and to send forward diverse CVs and they couldn't find any diverse CVs. Wow. Because you're not looking. You're not looking. So, we actually ended up using another agency, which lo and behold, was able to find, to find some diverse CVs across the board. But, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of my friends who started with me sort of around the same time experienced the same issues where recruiters, you know, it's at the time where, um, you know, a lot of recruiters would bring their sort of friends in and. Mm. You know, people, you know, people would have their favorites and you couldn't even register on their books, but they wouldn't even put you forward for the jobs. And I experienced a lot of that. And, it, mm. you know, it's really heartening because you, you have to pay your bills, you know, as much as just anyone. like everybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you just weren't getting the, the opportunity. So it wasn't necessarily. And, and that's not even before you've got to the step of going for the interview which yeah. is another barrier in itself where you've got to sort of prove that you're more than capable for the job yeah. you just weren't getting the opening so that to me I think at the start of my career was you know the, the sort of biggest hurdle just even being able to get registered with agencies but then I kind of got to the point where I had you know I I, I built up my CV where I had so much experience where actually recruiters would want to sign me up and would always put me forward for jobs because mm. I would always get the jobs I the interview I would get the job not in yeah. an arrogant way but because he was so strong yeah absolutely and so and I was more than qualified and so that kind of changed things for me but it, it just wasn't the same for everyone else no absolutely absolutely no I get that as well because I've got friends who I speak to and you know you start to compare stories as you do don't you so no I get that but I do feel like there's some recruiters that are doing a lot more trying to do a lot more um within that area sure. and it's always interesting because I feel like they have to also push back on their clients because they've got clients who are saying you know <laughs> red brick only universities or yeah. certain ones and you think well even when they say red brick it, you know it's like well okay fine but don't think that people of color don't actually go to these universities as, as well you know it's just like it's not just a red brick doesn't mean that it's solely white there are people getting in there but obviously not to the amount that are in some other universities but again an I, issue. I, think, I think recruiters are really good so I mean you mentioned Hanson Search who yes. I've, I've kind of um done panel talks with them and you know I've worked with them over the years and yeah. like there's lots of recruiters independent recruiters that I think have done amazing work I think where actually you find the biggest issues is is when you go in-house right. and so I guess for, for from my experience it's not actually the recruiters it's the internal recruitment teams they won't even actively search for people of color right. to bring in or if you contact them they will ghost you like speaking to all of my mentees mm. the biggest you know single thing that links an experience as a black person is being ghosted by recruiters and particularly recruiters who work in-house I've had it happen to me I know my mentees are and they just won't respond to you and they won't give you the fair sort of level of respect mm. that they would give to a person who is white and I yeah. think that's a problem that still needs to be addressed so I don't think it's the independent recruiters I think mm. they've done so much work over they the have I think they're the ones that are actually sort of driving change. Yes. The real issue comes from the big brands that have their in-house teams yeah. who aren't held accountable 
and don't proactively try and make a difference. That's a good point. That is a very good point because I feel like recruiters do get quite a bad rap in terms of being yeah. seen as that. And I, like you said, I've worked with Hanson Search and I know they're doing quite a lot to change that and driving things forward. But mm. again, when it comes to in-house, you know, they're kind of Lawrence themselves, aren't they? So essentially, you know, they can pick and choose. Whereas I feel like recruiters are a bit more out in the open. So you, you might be yeah. to more scrutiny, open to more scrutiny. Whereas when you're in-house, you just kind of get along a bit, you chug along. And unless you're being challenged to actually really sort people, yeah, you'll find that you're going to keep replacing like for like. And that's what happens. That's yeah. why if you look at a lot and, then, you know, I guess from my perspective, I always look at senior leadership teams and people at the very top. If you look at a lot of brands, it doesn't matter what they're saying in terms of their diversity policy. Mm-hmm. If considering BLM and everything that's happened over the past few years yeah George Floyd still, yeah absolutely yeah if you yeah. still look at and look at their senior leadership teams and everything else and if there hasn't been a change there then they haven't made a change you yeah. know I think that's that, that's I think the that's, that's the crux of it isn't it absolutely and I feel yeah. like a lot of people are looking now and are oh, wanting to see what's happening you know what you spoke you said all this stuff we had all these black squares going on like so what has changed you know a lot of it is lip service and I feel like a lot of companies just jumped on it for PR, you know? And now it's showing that actually, was it real? Was it just performative? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you can just compare the, like the companies that I think you can see is, you know, the companies that are doing um, ethnicity pay gaps and are being yep. transparent about being transparent that. Transparent about it, yeah. That have brought in talent. And it's not saying that you're hiring people just for the sake of hiring, but you're actually doing the work to find yeah. people to make sure that you are interviewing people across the spectrum. And so to me, the companies, and, you know, I I remember seeing sort of on various social media platforms, people comparing, and there are brands who have made, you know, absolute changes. And so Mm -hmm. I think there has been a lot of work, but then I think there, you know, there are a lot of brands that jumped on the bandwagon and nothing's changed. I think think that's really poor. I mean, like, you know, I would say, I actually have had a really, I was saying that tech can be bad, but actually, you know, I, you know, I've had a really, I guess, a pleasant experience in terms of tech companies proactively approaching me in terms of trying to bring me, you know, into the business because they're doing the hard work to search you out. And I think that's the important thing, but then you know, in the luxury and beauty um, sector, I think it like that's shocking. They have no desire. They're not to- so. No, they're not. I see that most is white girl PR to be quite open and honest. You know, it's, it sounds bad, but it's it's just quite true. And in certain aspects of uh, fashion as well, they, they just look at it as okay, it must be a white girl to do it. A white lady has to do the PR. And it's like, well, why you think that we don't care about beauty? If you don't care about fashion or like it's, it's really interesting, like you say, it's very in certain industries, like you say, you see it more than others. Um, but yeah, I think beauty is a very interesting one indeed. Because a lot of people that I know who work in the beauty side are not necessarily of colour. Yeah, and and you know what what is it's so weird is that if you think about Fenty and its success and being a billion dollar, who made company, it so big? It's all black and, and celebrities. And, yeah, and and Pat McGrath and all of yeah. those beauty brands that are inclusive I think you know um and uh, like a friend of mine Lydia who does the black pound report Mm -hmm. she's proven the value of the of the black pound and just how important it is to 
you know, cater your your products to be diverse. It's not to do people a favor. Right. It's just business sense. Yeah. yeah, it just makes good, good. It makes business sense. I mean, I did my dissertation on this many moons ago, and I did it on around beauty because I didn't want to go into beauty side of things. But what I what I was showing was the amount of money that black women spend on beauty and hair. Even my my uh, course director was shocked when I'd done all the the, the stats and put that forward. And they were like, wow, uh, you know, the industry definitely needs to be putting more money towards advertising it towards black consumers because you guys have got a lot of money spending in that area. Absolutely. It was around hair as well. You know, we like to make sure our hair is looking great. So <laughs> we look good. And I just don't think it's valuing our, uh, our black pound enough. Uh, and I think when people realise that, then, yeah, you can open up the... But but what I think has happened is, is that brands have become more diverse because they've seen, you know, the sort of Fenty effect and and what it does in terms of bringing revenue. I think the the place where I have an issue is, is that they do it externally because it's like a capital sort of, you know, revenue stream that they want to bring in. But what they're not doing is working within their own own organisations to change. And I think some of the worst stories that you've heard of sort of racism in the past couple of years have been from sort of those brands, particularly within, I think, beauty and luxury. Mm which are still just not as diverse as they should be. And there's no excuse. There is no excuse. There's no excuse. And when you look at it and break it really down, so something like Fenty, I mean, who helped to boost their sales? Nicki Minaj. You know, you've got, you've got all these artists that are out here, black artists that are wearing designers, you know, helping to sell products left, right and center. So you've got people who are now cutting on now and now doing, you know, great deals with these people. But again, it's still outside it's still surface it's not necessarily internal um so again yeah like you said there's there needs to be work there's more work to be done in those areas for sure or, or you know it needs to be black owned businesses so rihanna with fenty pat mcgrath with her own sort of standalone brand mm. Amar, did i didn't mean to say fenty i meant to say, I meant to say not not fenty, <laughs> rihanna. I, I, meant, I meant to say rihanna yes yeah, sorry yeah, and i was also yeah. thinking of the fashion brand uh it wasn't that it was uh not fenty what's the other one the other F brand, but Fendi. Fendi. Sorry, that's what I was thinking. I think of yeah. Fendi with Nicki Minaj. She yeah. blew them up. Blew them yeah. up. Fenty, obviously, black is black owned, we know, but I was mixing those yeah, two. So. I, I, I think that's that's sometimes what's needed is to yeah. have those brands where you have, you know, someone who starts the business who it comes in at the most senior level and they can sort of build the teams. Yeah. Just because Thing. otherwise it's kind of very very difficult for people to kind of get into that I, like I would always I always say to my mentees when they you know when they talk about sort of eight, like what are the trickiest industries to get into beauty luxury and media I would mm. say like the most challenging ones which are the industries that I work in so I yeah. kind of firsthand and that's where you know the representation still needs kind of like a lot more work definitely do you ever hear that story about Beyonce where she always got her agency involved and they didn't go with the agency because there were no black staff on there and I always loved that story and I thought well good this is what they need to happen and this needs to happen more and more from particularly black artists and those black business owners demand more so that you can get the change and those and white owners too like if you are pro diversity you should be asking for your teams to be diverse because then the agency will then have to go and do their due diligence you know 
it's the, I mean that's what real allyship is I mean I absolutely. think absolutely you know, that's, that's my next question as well your thoughts on allyship so perfect segue yeah I mean I, I think a lot of people think that allyship is about you know putting a few posts up attending a few courses and reading books and educating yourself that's not allyship allyship is is unfortunately having to do the hard work so when you see something that isn't right that isn't right that's happening right in front of you instead of leaving it to the black person to speak up speaking up from your place of privilege yeah and I think that's in it it's really interesting um I actually remember being in a scenario where myself and another black person had said something um, to someone about, you know, something to do with diversity, et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't until a white person said exactly the same thing that we'd said that this person took it seriously. And that's what allyship is, is that speaking speaking up, it's not about, you know, it's not about the posting or the understanding or whatever. It's about being uncomfortable and doing what's right because you are in a better position, in a more privileged position to use your voice so that people can take you seriously. It's a lot more challenging as a Black person to be able to, communicate it's not that you're not a good communicator but there'll always be a stereotype when you speak up like you know oh you know you're being too sensitive or whatever mm. but when it comes from a white person saying actually this doesn't feel right right you know you shouldn't be doing this it's actually taken seriously because there is that sense of commonality between those two people well actually if this person is saying it then maybe there is something. Some truth Whereas to it. if it's a black person saying it, then it's not always taken as seriously. So that's what I think real allyship is. Yeah. And that's what needs to happen. And I think, you know, people have, have thought that allyship is, is merely, you know, kind of educating themselves. That's not real allyship. Mm. Allyship is about getting as uncomfortable as the thing that you see is wrong or, you know, is occurring and putting yourself in a position where you use your position of privilege. Absolutely. And you've, you've articulated that perfectly, exactly that. And that was, that was my question, your thoughts on it, you know, what does it mean to you? And you, you said it clearly. And I agree. I completely agree. I feel like people misinterpretate what it is. Um, and I feel like another person I introduced said something that was really good. And she said, it's also about what, um, you know, what is said about you when you're out you're not in the room you know that's also your yeah. allyship you know are you advocating for your people while they're out of the room you know so yeah. or are you just you know joining in with the banter you know it's very interesting yeah, yeah. and you know, you know what I I totally get it because it is really hard like I you know I felt it myself when everyone has thought one thing and I've had to speak up and have said actually this isn't right and no one else agrees with me it's scary it's it's really daunting and you don't want to become the victim so I get how challenging it is but you know it's 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 how you feel as a person and your your ethics and, and morals as to whether or not you'll speak up for the right thing or not or whether you will stay silent and I I just think you know, if you know that something's happening and it's not right and you don't speak up, well, you're just as culpable yeah, as the people. You're kind of part it. of the problem, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's either you're sort of, you know, you're either creating the change or, you know, you're being part of the change or you're not, you know, <laughs> it's like, 
you know, yeah. or, or you're yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So no, I get that absolutely. So you've spoken a bit about your career as well. So uh, what motivates you? What inspires you to keep going? You know, in the face of you know challenges that we face within the workplace. Um, I th- I think you know to to be <laughs> to be in the comms industry, you have to actually enjoy it. Um, and I do really enjoy working in comms. So. Um, I think having that love and that passion uh, is kind of what I, uh, motivates me. But then I also think I, you know, I, I come from a sort of African background where you have that ethic, that really strong ethic where you have to prove yourself, you know, you know, you know, being the best, you know, that's what your family expects of you. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, I always had that overachiever gene in me from from an early age and so I've always wanted to be the best and you know I'm not ashamed about that I always knew from an early age that I wanted to do well you know whether you know going to a sort of a school or a university or, or doing well in my career mm. and you know something like the BBC I tried for about a year or two to get in there so like you know I was really really persistent so I've always been really driven. I've always been really ambitious and I always want to be the best, you know, that, that I can possibly be. And definitely, um, you know, I guess like in the past couple of years, like my team won multiple awards for being sort of best in-house team and various campaigns and stuff. And that's always been a motivating sort of thing for me that, you know, I always want to work in teams that do well. And I always want to push myself as well. I want to be the best that I can possibly be. But then I also want to, I guess, in terms of a representative point of view, I want to be at the very top of my career because I want other people who are coming into this industry to actually realize that you can make it. Because if you don't see people who look like you at the top, then what's the incentive to come in? And so I've always taken, since I sort of started to move up the ranks, that's why I, you know, I probably do speak as much as I, you know, I do and get involved in mentoring and stuff. I take being in a sort of position where I'm able to really seriously. And I do want to see more people in positions of leadership for sure. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Absolutely. And what would you say you found most challenging on your career journey so far? Being a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> we can't change that. Okay. We are melanated and wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think, I think the thing about, you know, comms is, is that that's why I was saying it's really important to love what you do. Um, comms is a challenging industry to be in, like you work long hours. Um, you know, it's really fast paced. There's lots of challenges, you know, especially if you have to, you know, deal with things like crisis comms, you know, pandemic, yeah. you know, you know, that, you know, has kind of like been my safe for the past few years. Yeah. You need to have a sort of, a sort of um, amount of resilience. Absolutely. Think, to be able to work through it. So, you know, I, I, I would never have it any other way. I mean, I, you know, I wish there were times when things would be easier, but ultimately I, I love, you I love, love it. I do. And so oh, that's great as long as I can keep doing it and, and being good to it, you know, I'll carry on doing it. Doing it. No, that's brilliant. And then I suppose what I want to ask you, especially with this hat on of us, you know, I think of we're black women in the workplace. 
for you, what makes, what is it, what do you want from your employer? What makes a good working environment for you? Yeah, I mean, actually, interestingly, I think things have very much changed, I think, with everything that's happened. I think looking at culture first, I think for me, it's not just the role. So it's not just working for a great brand. It's not just, you know, the role or the prestige. It's about the environment that you're going into. And so for me, it's an environment or a business or a workplace that is doing hard work. It's not to say that 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 place is perfect, but it's actually having, you know, a a business or a place that has really strong values and is prepared to do the hard work that's necessary to make their environment inclusive and a welcome place for people across the whole spectrum. It's not just about ethnicity, but it's, across the whole spectrum and just because I really genuinely believe that diverse workforces are kind of you know just a more productive and a nicer place to work and so going you know there's also you know a part of me that thinks that sometimes I want to go into spaces where there is no representation because I almost want to prove a point that we need to get in so that we can you know start changing and educating people so I think there's a matter of that but just from a comfort level, you always want to go into a business where you feel that you'll be welcomed. I would never now like going, you know, going into a business if I knew that it wasn't a tolerant, you know, workplace or an inclusive workplace or a business that was taking diversity um, seriously, then I wouldn't want to work there. And so it's having that, it's having a business that puts its people first, that thinks about things like mental health, flexibility, you know, understands the complexities of, you know, people in different scenarios, whether they're parents or caregivers or whatever it is. It's that type of work environment that I think, because you spend most of your life there, that I think makes the perfect work environment. I agree. I completely agree. I think you're, that's absolutely right. I was going to say, what does diversity look like to you? But it's like what you just saying, an environment that's welcoming, isn't it, to all? Yeah. So I get it. Um, I think that's interesting as well. And good points. Uh, I agree. We should want this. That's the kind of work the workplace most people want to be in, right? You want to be appreciated. You want to be valued. You want to feel like everyone's welcome, everyone's accepted, and that they're working towards changing things and being progressive. Sounds uh, great. And so, again, we're going to touch, because we're getting towards wrapping up of it now, but I want to pick up as one of your proudest moments before we're going to touch on a little bit of the mindset. But um, so proudest moments, can you tell us about your proudest moments, your work? It could be work, it could be personal, like a career highlight. I mean, proudest moments are definitely all of the awards that um, my team won at Hearst. um, Yeah. Plus, I was actually in London um, not so long ago for the PR Week Power Book event. It was like my first event, and God knows how long, but that was my fourth year in a row. And again, I just, I think it's kind of important to see sort of more and more black faces being included in things like Powerless. Um, It was the fact that my team like just went from strength to strength from a team that never won any awards to winning multiple awards um, in the time that was there. And, you know, that's a massive achievement. That's a massive achievement. 
you know, we were, you know, we were just going from strength to strength and winning for our, our hard work on our campaigns, but also what we did as a team as a whole. So I think professionally, those those have kind of like been my proudest moments just because, you know, it's almost like getting that recognition for all the hard work. Because I know all of the hard work that we put in behind the scenes and the long hours and, you know, the stress. And yeah. so, yeah, that to me was particularly at a time during a pandemic, you know, when things have been pretty tough. Those were kind of like, I guess, the real sort of career highlights for me. Um, I think, you know, obviously the time that I first joined Bow was amazing as well. It was like, you know, a bit of a sort of statement for me. And then just from a sort of personal perspective, you know, being able to do things like working, you know, working remotely or moving to Germany and stuff like that. I just think it's sometimes really important for everyone to just, you know, take a leap of faith and and, and do something that, you know, maybe not everyone will agree with or people won't think that you'll be able to do and just to make a real go of it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I've ever really had many regrets. And I think the one thing that I've learned about myself is that, I, you know, I'm constantly pushing myself forward and you know it's just more important to kind of be happy with what you're doing and feel proud of yourself it's not about proving yourself externally it's about how you feel as a person yeah no I get it I get it I agree with you completely on that and what are your thoughts on the industry and how you think it will evolve over the next few years um I mean in general you know it's both in general yeah I mean to be honest like I I I've been doing a lot of uh, judging recently, uh, PRCA and uh, PR moments, et cetera, CIPR. Like I, I've seen a lot of changes. I, particularly from an agency side, there are lots of amazing agencies out there that are doing great work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think agencies have definitely taken the whole diversity thing on board and like agencies are focusing on, uh, you know, putting their people first and, and yeah. you know, like, you know, focusing on things that are important. And, and that's what I think is, is really important. And so, you know, when I look at agencies like Manifest and Catchem and all of the sort of amazing work that they do, they do the work that, you they know, the why I love them as agencies is that they probably invest where they don't have to. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They definitely they, invest where they don't have to. But they do. But they do it because they want to. That's yeah. the thing. You know, some of this takes real investment and time and commitment. It's not necessarily, you know, it's not. It's not going to hit your sort of bottom line in terms of bringing in revenue. But it's the right thing to do. And so, yeah. you know, for me, seeing lots of agencies like that that are sort of you know, thinking about those types of things and, you know, being sort of real trailblazers, I just think it's absolutely amazing. So I think there's kind of lots of exciting stuff happening in the industry. Yeah. Uh, purely from an in-house perspective, I, I, I would just love to see some of that ethos and mentality kind of go across to the, 
you know, the sort of in-house, but it's, it's different, right? Because when you work with solely PRs, it's very different to mm-hmm. when you're just one sector within a big business. Within a big business, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I've often been the in-house person. So yes, I get that kind of setup and it's, you know, you've got lots more things to kind of push against and, you know, you, you have a voice, but again, it's all about the top down and what they kind of want for the business and what their vision is for the business. So yeah, absolutely. But you made some good agencies there. So I think Manifest are doing some great stuff and Ketchum have been doing yeah. some great Ketchum, stuff. I mean, you know, both sort of Alex and Joanne at Ketchum yeah. and Alex at Manifest, you know, they are the leaders at the top that have put the commitment in. And, in, and exactly. actually, it's, you know, I don't think, I think there are some, you know, some agencies that maybe do stuff because they think they have to tick boxes and it looks good. But, um, you know, they do stuff because they want to. They generally believe it. And I think when you have leaders like that at the top that do want to do good work and do want to make their work environments kind of... all the difference. Yeah, and and set standards. And, And what I've noticed more and more through judging, actually, is that when you have agencies like that that set a good example... More and more agencies want to sort they of follow, to follow suit. Yeah. So even if they don't necessarily, you know, think about it or, you know, whatever the reasons, they kind of don't want to be left behind. Yeah. And so that's why I have so much admiration for them because they kind of did it when no one was really well, no one was really pushing it. them to do it like that. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's so true. You do see it through judging. I haven't done any, well, I've got some PRCA judging to do later on this year, but um, I used to do quite a lot of CRPR ones. And it, you do see a difference in, the, uh, the diversity when it comes to diversity I've seen a lot more effort put into those sort of categories yeah. and things like that now so it's interesting it's true and flexible working and you know there's no there's no more excuses you can't just use the same excuse now post-pandemic I feel like people are changing you know the way they kind of work so very interesting yeah. and thinking about parents and sort of things like sort of bonuses and yeah. like pension schemes I remember you know working for a PR agency getting a sort of pension was like unheard of and so people and agencies are starting to think more about sort of treating and putting their people first. I think that's really important. Yeah, they should, absolutely. Without employees, you have nothing. Yeah, Yeah. without employees, there there is no business. So I think it's so important that people prioritise their employees. So important. So uh, so what key lessons would you say you've learned throughout your career? If you could name maybe like three key things you've learned throughout your career that you can maybe pass on. So in a sense of the hat on of giving advice to young people of colour considering entering the industry as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a big fan of, of mentoring. So I always think, you know, look for someone that you, you know, admire or emulate. It doesn't always have to be someone, um, you know, in the same field of you as you and try and learn as much as you can. I think you need to be really focused. So um, I always work with my mentees and we set a bit of a strategy. So you treat it the same way that you would treat a campaign, put together a clear strategy and goals. And I think that, you know, when you're focused, when you know where you want to end up, then you're more likely to be successful. So you must have that sort of um, clear focus. And, and I, you know, I think the third thing is, and this is one thing that I think is really important is go through, you know, doesn't matter whether you're an AE or a sort of director of comms, treat people around you sort of respectfully and be a nice person. Like, you yeah. know, I think sometimes people think that to be successful, you you kind of have to be cutthroat. Mm-hmm. 
you don't, don't have, have to be, be. No. you know I you know I think you know you you need to be strong definitely yeah. but I think you need to be a nice person because I think it comes back to haunt you otherwise absolutely absolutely I completely agree and we've that's been kind of the consensus for today you know being respectful and being nice is quite interesting because the same uh, thing you know we had the same sort of answer from the person I've interviewed before and also giving back as well I giving mean, back that, is important you know learning that once you do get to a certain level it's almost a responsibility to be able to want to give back yeah and to yeah. help well, that's what I admire about you though because you do a lot to you know for the industry because obviously I met you through women in PR um because mm-hmm. I was on the board there um and you came and spoke at one of our events which is great and uh, but I love that you do give back and um that's something that I admire about you because there are other people that I know of in the industry who to me it seems like you know you, they get to a certain level and they just pull the ladder up they're like pull the ladder up no more thanks and it's mm-hmm. like wow what are we doing here so no it's much much appreciated but it's really important, though. I mean, the thing that I, I realised as soon as I first became a communications director, I always knew in my mind that I would try and use my position of power to make a difference. And so things like, like I said, being the person who instructs the recruitment agency to send me through CVs. Yeah. I want to be able to help nurture talent. I, you know, like the thing that we did at Hearst, for people who wanted to get into publishing or luxury, that was kind of like the first thing within our sector yeah. for us to do because right. you really do want to make sure that people are coming through. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I think that's really helpful. I'm wrapping up now. So lastly, mindset. So how do you deal with this sort of internal mindset war? You know, how do you manage self-limiting beliefs? Hmm. You know, everyone always talks about imposter syndrome. Yeah. I've always heard that so much. And like people say, I don't think I've ever had that. Yeah, and I don't know, I, I don't know what it is, but I think, like I said to you, I've always, I've always had it within me that I've always been so focused and I've always believed that whatever I want to achieve, I can do it. And it's, you know, it's it's not sort of, you know, I realise that it's challenging and I always realise that it's going to be sort of hard work, but I don't know. It's that self-belief. It's like I almost, I've got something in me where I kind of, even when it's like I feel like I'm at my lowest, yeah. I dig deep and I dig deep and I know that I can rely on myself to kind of push myself push through. Yourself, yeah. I think it's, you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the African in me, but I, you know, it's that resilience. So, yeah, determination, ambition. Yeah, yeah, wanting to do well, wanting to be the best, wanting to do well, wanting to do good work, wanting to be able to give back. That's yeah. what's always motivated me. No, I can understand that. That sounds, that, that makes sense. And it's interesting that you never experienced the imposter syndrome. And they talk about that a lot in our industry. They speak about that a lot in our industry. I, yeah, and I, I get that people have it, but it also frustrates me as well because that in itself is is a self-limiting it thing. Is. It is. No, it's almost like people are being conditioned to think that if you do well, you're an imposter of some sorts. How about you You do well because you deserve it. Because you deserve it. 
absolutely genuinely good at your good job. at what you do absolutely exactly yeah. I'm kind of more from your kind of school um yeah. I feel like I'm a bit more confident in that sense and I always think I can go for whatever and I can do whatever comes my way you know I feel like we are limitless we can do whatever we put our mind to you know and I think that's important to try and keep with you as you kind of progress so yeah absolutely I, I, I'm all with you on that one and looking back on your journey would you do it all over again yeah, I mean, I wish I'd had an easy ride. I'm, I'm not going to lie, but would I change anything? No, because I think even, you know, even things that have been sort of really tough and hard, and, and there have been lots of instances throughout my career when things really have been awful and tough and hard and, you know, soul-destroying. I always think out of all of those scenarios, there's always something better that's happened from it and yeah, always as a person. yeah. So like even getting into PR, it's because I, you know, the job that I had to be a political reporter for the BBC fell through. Right. If that had come through, I wouldn't be in PR and I, you know, I wouldn't be in the position that I am now. Yeah. So it's almost like out of every disappointment comes a blessing. Is Absolutely. And my mum says that every disappointment um, has a purpose. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you think, oh, really? You think it actually does make sense. Yeah. It really does. It really does. And what would you say is the maybe the best or worst advice you've been given? This can be funny. Sometimes the worst advice are funny. Sometimes the best advice are great. Mm, I mean, the best advice, the best advice actually I, um, was uh, one of my first MDs. Um, he always... <laughs> He always said it was like PR and not ER. So he always used to say to me, like, unless, you know, someone's died or something's happened, and sometimes that does happen in PR, mm-hmm. it's like it can wait. Yeah. Like, you, know, you like, don't, you know, don't work yourself into the ground. To the ground. Wait. Yeah. And, and that's something I like that, that. <laughs> always, I've always thought, I, like, I, I always say to my teams that unless you know it's literally a matter of life or death leave it until tomorrow yeah that's something I've carried through you know from however long ago it was I worked with him like 12 years ago or something I've always carried that ethos too because otherwise I think you always get wrapped up in thinking you that really do. life or death it's only PR you're not yeah. saving lives you're not in you know the NHS or something yeah uh the worst piece of advice I don't know. I, I, I can't think of it. Probably wouldn't hold on to it anyway. You would have let that go. <laughs> yeah, I, Ideally. I mean, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't actually think of everything because I always think sometimes like you have to take different bits of advice and they could be applicable to you, but they could be more applicable to someone else. So even if it's bad advice for you, it might be good advice for someone, someone else. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I always say you pick out the good bits, what makes sense, leave the rest really. I think that's the best way to do it. And then uh, lastly, do you have any rules that you've implemented, you know, to help yourself along your career journey? Any rules that you stick by, like, you know, for yeah, progression focus. or anything? Yeah, so it's the focus. It's the okay. focus of knowing what I want to do, what I want to achieve, uh, knowing, you know, what kind of, you know, even though in some ways, you know, some of my career and I'm, I wouldn't say I've ever been sur- surprised in my career. I've always had a definite, I want to work for this brand or I want to do this role. And I followed through with it. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, 
know. That's good though. That in itself is is what you said. What you just said is quite key. So you've always focused I've, on what you want to do. I've always had a plan. I think that plan and you kind of follow through your I've plan. Always, yeah, I've always had a plan, and I will always have a plan. And even I guess when people don't agree with my plan or think I'm kind of you know I'm taking a risk or doing something whatever. I always know in myself that this is what's best for me. And I think you always have to use that inner judgment to know that you're the person, you're the person that faces the consequence of any decision. And so any decisions you make have to be the best decisions for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was, and you've just, you know, rammed that off really lovely, really nicely. That was really great. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful speaking with you and learning about your journey of experience. It's been absolutely insightful. And uh, you guys listening, uh, if you want to connect with Ify, you can do that on LinkedIn. Ify, do you want to give some of your details? For connecting, Sorry. if anyone wants to connect with you. Oh, Ify, yeah. So, so I you. I'm just under Ify Kanua on LinkedIn. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. There you go. You I think so. Me. I'm always really bad with my social media <laughs> handles because I always, yeah, like what, I what they are. Swear, you're too busy think... doing it for your brands. That's why, you know, we're always, you know, we've got our brands. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Ones. <laughs> but no, but thank you, you know, so that's much. That's the weird thing about PRs. PRs, they're very bad at self promotion. Yes. They're always promoting other people. But yeah, so LinkedIn. 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 Okay, you can find if you're on LinkedIn. And yeah, that's so true. We are definitely bad at promoting ourselves, <laughs> which is so funny. We spend our whole life doing it for other people. Um, but yes, thank you so much for sharing, guys. Stay tuned. I will be back with more guests as always. Hope you guys have a blessed time until then, because we'll be back with some more great com professionals. So thanks again. Cheers.